Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, very exciting guest here today on the podcast, one of my favorite authors and also podcast host Jimmy Moore is here with us today. Welcome to the show, Jimmy. Hey, 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 what's up? So anyone who wants to know about Jimmy Moore, you can just Google Jimmy Moore and the first two pages will come up, but his website is livinlavidalowcarb.com, L-I-V-I-N-L-A-V-I-D-A-L-O-C-R-A. C-A-R-B.com, livinglovitalowcarb.com. Easy so, for you to say. That's right. So you've uh, you've written several books I love. I'm really a uh, big fan of the Ketogenic Cookbook. You also wrote Keto Clarity, which is just uh, the best resource for anyone looking into uh, ketosis, and then Cholesterol Clarity. And now this new book, which I also love, and I'm so excited to talk to you about, The Ultimate Guide to Fasting. How did you jump in this? What got you into this? I mean, all of us in the paleo primal community, we we understand intermittent fasting and you know, we yep. do that. But what took you to this next level? Well, I was reluctant. <laughs> and sure. you'll read my story in there. I have a chapter in there called uh, not just a, another F word, because this has truly been a journey for me, L, with fasting. And and Mark Sisson actually, I have to credit him a lot for really kind of keeping intermittent fasting on my radar screen because I resisted it for the longest time. I first heard about it in 2006. Dr. Michael Eads from Protein Power fame started talking about it, and I was like, that sounds painful. Why would I I make myself hungry? That makes no sense at all to give up food, blah, blah, blah. And so it was several years later I actually interviewed uh, one of the people that we have as our fasting all-stars in the book, his name, Dr. Thomas Seafried, and I had him on the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show way back in 2009, and he said at the very end of one of our shows, he's a world-famous ketogenic and cancer researcher, and he said at the very end, if you want to prevent cancer, do a one-week fast once a year. And of course, at that time, I still wasn't doing intermittent fasting, but it intrigued me. Whoa, that's a powerful therapeutic modality to just fast for one week. Now, it seemed insurmountable at the time to try to do a one-week fast, so I started wrapping my head around the intermittent fasting. That's where Mark and Rob Wolf and Brad Pilon and different ones said, God, dude, just do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and you've got some, like, fasting all-stars in your book, you know, as you go through the book, and, you know, Abel James is in there, Mark Sisson, yep. Rob Wolf. There's a lot of people in there who kind of give their little their little spiel on it. Um, so, when you so then you did intermittent fasting and you're like okay yep. it's not horrible and so, it, <laughs> so was, it was horrible the first couple of times I did it but you know what made it easy L is when I went full on ketogenic because when you're keto you're very naturally sated and so you don't feel like you have to eat at all these pre pre uh, prescribed dinner time breakfast time, lunch time, snack time, all this kind of stuff. You just eat pretty uh, normally, which ends up being about one to two meals a day. So that ends up being a pretty good intermittent fast. 
And so I got pretty good at doing that since 2012. Almost daily since 2012 have I intermittent fasted. But the thing that intrigued me more was when I met this gentleman at a conference, a low-carb conference in Cape Town, South Africa in February 2015, his name, Dr. Jason Fung. And I had never heard of Dr. Fung before, but we shared a stage together and I heard his lecture talking about talking about doing some of these extended fasts if you have insulin resistance. And I'm like, well, I definitely have insulin resistance. <laughs> so why don't we, you know, take a look at this? So I talked to him after, you know, got any resources that are out there that I can, you know, re reference and try to do a fast uh, of longer than a few days really, really well. And he said, well, really, there's not anything. So that's when I said, well, hey, I got a good publisher. You've got the knowledge. Let's put our, you know, Wonder Twin Powers activate together and make this happen. And so that's how the Complete Guide to Fasting came about. I love it. There's, there's so, this book is, um, again, like your other books, sort of rereadable. There's certain sections you're going to want to go over. There's so much detail in here. And also I like the science and the success stories are phenomenal. And we'll get into a few of those. Um, why, why is it good for you? Let's talk about some of the benefits first before we get into the details of why those benefits are there, unless you want to add them in. But let's talk about that because a lot of people out there be like, that's ridiculous. I'm only going to suffer. What's yep. the benefit other than maybe I'll lose some quick late? You know, that's really right. This, this sort of generic fasting and not approaching it from where you did is what people that, um, you know, the lemonade diet, right? With the lemon and the right. cayenne. And then they do that for 10 days. They feel miserable. They're horrible. And then, you know, they're turned off to fasting. <laughs> And it only, you know, and it drops some bloat, but then they gain it right back right away, you know, so this is this is a little bit more in depth and, and different here. Um, let's talk about, you know, I guess you could tell people what is fasting. There's so many different kinds. And we'll get into that. Yes. We've got intermittent fasting, there's long fast, there's three day fast, there's 21 day fast. Um, but what are the benefits that we can throw out there that people should maybe consider buying your book and looking into doing a fast? So let me turn to the Nobel Prize winner in medicine in 2016. I don't have his name off the top of my head, but he won the Nobel Prize in medicine because of his work looking into fasting and its effect on autophagy. Now, people that don't know what autophagy is, it's basically the regeneration of cells. And basically what you're doing is you're giving, a cell, giving your cells a reboot. And so that's, that's powerful just through something as simple as a few days of fasting. And so that's a huge thing. Well, one of the main things that we talk about in our book is most people are dealing with excessive insulin as an issue. So it manifests itself in the form of obesity, which when you fast, duh, you don't eat, you're going to lose weight. So that's pretty, pretty axiomatic. But other things that get better are anything that that insulin uh, pathway uh, causes as a disease state. So PCOS would get better. Diabetes will get better. And a lot of type two diabetics are writing me, is this good for me? I'm like, this is made for you. What are you talking about? Well, yeah. And you've got two great, you've got some success stories and where people reversed, got off insulin. And I yes. mean, I, the, the results are there. I'm looking at their HB1, A1C and it's up at like, you know, one of them was really high, like 7.6%. And yeah. then boom, after not too long, dropped right back down to like 5.2, 4.8. I forget the exact uh, details. So yeah, yep. type 2 diabetes. I mean, this is why everyone really needs to look into not only just going low carb and following what you have for that path, but then you might need to take it a little further. And I would even say, L, that a lot of people that have tried a paleo diet, a primal diet, and a keto diet, for example, those are the three in our community that most people are aware of. 
you know, maybe you've done that for a little while and you're not quite at your goal. And when I say goal, don't hear me say weight loss. I'm not, I don't really give a flip about weight loss. I hope you don't either. Uh, you, you, the listeners out there, because it's the least interesting thing. I know it's what gets people to try to do a diet, but don't do fasting for weight loss. Yeah, you'll lose weight, but that's not your primary purpose. And so, you know, I would hope that people would, would give this a go for those health benefits. And so that's, that's the thing we're trying to underscore here is there's so many great health benefits. And here's the thing we're, we're over nourished. We, we have nailed the fine art of feasting. We, as a society and humans, we know how to feast, but what we've forgotten out about how to do is fast. And so in, in our ancient days, basically, anytime we had a big feast, you would celebrate, you would enjoy, you'd stuff your belly, you'd have a good time. But when that time was over, you purposely worked into your schedule a period of fasting. And it was very normal. You know, today you you even mention fasting and it truly is another F word to people. <laughs> and well, and it's, was, it's in our, it's what we did. I mean, you know, sometimes when I, um, Sort of, uh, when I started the journey, you know how you usually eat more food and then you get on the train, you become more calorically efficient, you get satiated yep. faster. It's it's almost like, I feel like the people who look at fasting as an F word, that's kind of built into how we worked out. And when I look at the amount of food I used to eat, I would have these thoughts of like, you know, if I was in the wild and I was hunting and gathering or gathering, <laughs> wouldn't be allowed to hunt maybe, um, <laughs> that... This is exactly what would happen. There would be days without food. We, I mean, yes. fasting so bad for you. We would, like you mentioned in your book, human population would have never gotten to where it was. Everyone That's right. would have dropped dead, be miserable, became prey of some animal. So I'd love you to. I, I know you touched on it a bit, and I also love this growth hormone component. Can you touch in there? And I would even go even deeper than the growth hormone section, which is which is awesome uh, that you enjoyed that. But I think the metabolism. Uh, effects of fasting is what's really a lot of people fear that they think, oh, if I don't eat at all, my metabolism is going to slow down so much that I won't be able to lose weight or be healthy at all. And I'll become sluggish. That's what people think uh, will happen to them. But what actually happens, uh, what actually causes that is not not eating at all. It's actually low calorie. So anything somewhere by, like between 500 to 800 calories, if that's all you're taking in, some people say, well, that's better than eating zero. Well, actually, no, it's not. We, we put a lot of compelling evidence in here from the biggest loser, that study that looked at all these former contestants and how their basal metabolic rate had been lowered. And it actually did lower it and made them worse off but guess what, L? The the beautiful thing about fasting, and when we say fasting, it's really anything uh, minimal in calories. So bulletproof coffee would not be approved on on a fast. You know, obviously a true fast would just be water. But we allow for bone broth, we allow for kombucha and little things calorically to help get you through the day uh, on these fasts. Uh, I'm currently doing a fast myself and I've had very minimal of any of that stuff, but it's only because I've worked myself up to that. But back to the metabolism thing, when you don't eat any food at all, your metabolism doesn't slow down. It actually revs up by 10%. Now that's counterintuitive. People would think, well, you're not eating any food at all. How is your metabolism revving up? And what it does is it's allowing your body to tap into those stored uh, body fat uh, for energy. And so when you dump all of the glycogen 
and all that's left is body fat. Even the leanest person, uh, except for underweight and malnourished people, but the leanest athlete still has some body fat on them that they could tap into for energy during an extended fast. I thought that was really fascinating in the context of looking at fasting. People just, just don't believe that you can rev up your metabolism, but that's exactly what happens. No, and I love that whole detailed discussion because it is about that myth of fasting puts you in starvation mode and, and makes you yep. burn muscle, causes low blood sugar, and then it results in overeating. And, you know, so there's a lot of myths here that, that, and also I love the little bit you put in here. You said, you know, running just on the fat stored in their bodies. Most Americans could walk from New York to Florida without technically needing a bite to eat. And yep. that is the whole point. You're using your body fat to fuel yourself. Um, you know, I agree with you on, it's one thing, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up the biggest loser. And then I know you had a quote in there from Abel James when he was on my diets better than yours, you know, and the way that they gauged the success there was the number on the scale and not the percentage of body fat. So, right. you know, that's obviously a, a more important discussion. But I agree with you about not only just the anti-inflammatory benefits, but the the mental clarity and concentration and just the improvement in insulin sensitivity and what that can do for your health is oh my by goodness, far yes. outweighs, I mean, yeah, weight loss, weight loss, but the others are amazing. It's just such an amazing benefit. Once you experience it, you're like, I don't even care about a couple extra pounds here. I just care that I feel this great. And the beautiful thing is you will lose a couple of extra pounds as well. Um, you know, a lot of one of the other fears, L, that people have is, well, yeah, you'll lose weight, but you'll gain it all back when you're done with the fasting. That's not been my experience. And Dr. Fung actually notes in his clinic, he's put over a thousand patients on some kind of a fast in his clinic in Toronto. And what he's found is you'll lose about a half a pound of body fat per day fasting. So if you end up losing anything more than that, that's okay because that might be some water weight, especially if you're insulin resistant, you're going to have a little extra. Um, I'm currently in the, in the midst of doing a fast and at the 14 day mark of fasting, I had lost 23 pounds. So I'm more than that half a pound a day because of my insulin resistance. Now, when I end the fast and start eating again, some people are like, well, you'll just gain back all of that weight. Well, no, you don't gain back all of it. You gain back some of it, and then it's a cumulative effect. It's why some people ask me, well, is this healing your insulin resistance, this one fast you're doing, this one 21-day? I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Think about how many decades it took for me to get morbidly obese and become insulin resistant. It's going to take a little while and multiple fasts to probably help bring about that healing. Yeah, that's um, – I really – I also really love this. <laughs> I did, actually didn't know this, this sort of fact here that you threw in there, which was, well, obviously, we've all been told eating late at night is a bad strategy. Okay, we get yep. that. But what I didn't know is, you know, you mentioned that hunger is maximally stimulated at approximately, you know, 7.50 p.m. And at this mm -hmm. time, insulin is maximally stimulated by food. So the same amount of food results in higher insulin levels. That I didn't know. That is a great case for me to kind of keep Stop on eating. The, <laughs> right. And kind of keep on the train of sort of the next thing you said, which when I do intermittent fasting and fasting in general, I end up eating my largest meal around 3 p.m. It kind yep. of just happens that way. And that's sort of one of the suggestions. And you were saying, you know, interestingly, that's sort of the traditional Mediterranean eating pattern. And, you know, that diet is, I mean, aside from the details, but those, that strategy seems right in line with what we're talking about. 
Oh my goodness. And a lot of cultures, they do have their, their last meal of the day, early afternoon and not kind of early evening like we do here in America. So yeah, there's a lot we could learn from, from even listening to our own bodies as to when to eat. If you're going to implement an intermittent fasting, you know, make sure that that last meal isn't like you said, around the seven o'clock when it's not a good idea to, uh, to be eating with that insulin susceptibility to being so high. Now we've got, there's so many different types of fasting and I go through them as in the order of which you'd like, but I definitely want to discuss this like five to two, uh, (laughs) because yeah, yeah, five to die. Because I've heard a lot about that. In fact, I, um, I heard, I don't know, something in the car. I tapped into Howard Stern for a second and I heard him mentioning that Jimmy Kimmel lost so much weight because that's what he does. So two days a week, he eats like 500 calories or less. So can you just tell us about that and a little bit about the the varieties of fasting and the different, the different sort of plans of action? Oh my gosh. There are, there are about as many fasting plans as are people breathing. So (laughs) everybody seems to have their own like incarnation of this. And, you know, we talk about a lot of them in the book. You know, some people say, well, if you drink bulletproof coffee in the morning, you maintain your fasting. Well, no, not technically you don't, but I guess you maintain keeping insulin low, uh, sort of. So, uh, so that's one. And, you know, the five, two, as you mentioned, Michael Mosley, uh, has popularized this in the UK, very popular. So yeah, you have, uh, five days of eating and then two days of fasting on the, on the weekends, ostensibly, where you're eating 500 calories, I, I think you could perfect it if you just didn't eat it all for a period of time, right. rather than trying to do this 500. Because as I just noted uh, earlier, you're actually slowing down your metabolism. And I, I'm thinking some of the people that do well on that 5-2 diet, like Jimmy Kimmel, aren't really that insulin resistant. If you're insulin resistant and you're eating that very low calorie and not really truly fasting, you're actually doing more harm than good. So yeah, we, we, we dispel a lot of the different kinds of, you know, people talk about juice fasting. That's not what we're talking about in the complete guide to fasting. We're trying to say, look, give your body a rest from food. So try to have zero calories if you can and if you can't, then we offer up bone broth with sea salt as an example of something that you can consume. You feel like you're having chicken soup, you know, chicken noodle soup or something, um, and it feels like you had a meal. That definitely helped me early on when I first started doing these extended fasts. After we got the book last year, I, I asked Dr. Fung if he would, you know, watch me as I did some longer fasts. So I first attempted a 21-day fast, made it 17 and a half days. It was the longest fast I'd ever done. So that was pretty cool. And then I started doing more fast. And so I was using the bone broth with sea salt. I was using kombucha and, of course, copious amounts of water. All of that really helped to the point, L, that I now have built up sort of a fasting muscle, so to speak, uh, that I've done this so much. I really don't need those things anymore because I know how to mitigate some of the issues that come up. So it's something you learn the more you do it. And what are some of those issues? I mean, you mentioned sort of one. You need uh, a little bit more salt sometimes, not only in ketosis, yeah. but during fasting. Yeah. So a, a lot of people say, well, the biggest thing I fear is hunger. Well, guess what? Beyond day two, day two is bad. I will tell you that. Day two is really hard. You know, if you're already pretty fat adapted, you're probably eating primal, paleo, keto, low carb. Day one should be super duper easy because you're probably already implementing some form of intermittent fasting into your regular schedule. So 
one day without eating probably isn't going to make your body flip out. But day two does. Day two, it kind of gets a little hard because your body's like, okay, dummy, this is about the time you usually start eating. So let's let, we need, we need some fuel. Let's go. And when you are able to squelch that through drinking some bone broth with sea salt, which does help balance some electrolytes, some people get headaches, some people get uh, leg cramps, and some people just just don't feel well, um, and they think they're starving. They're not starving. You're actually, your body is just trying to tell you, hey, this is your normal schedule. What's going on? Well, when you squelch that, and it usually can be anywhere from like 20 minutes to an hour that, that it's really intense, you get beyond that L it's actually pretty good and you don't feel bad anymore. And by day three and four, you feel like you're full. You feel like you've got plenty of energy and guess what, by the way, you do. And here's why you've depleted all of your glycogen out of your muscles and your body has been forced to tap in to body fat as its sole source of energy. And that manifests itself in the formulation of ketone bodies, which if you're testing, and I just tested mine just a moment ago, just to kind of see where I'm at on my fast, and uh, 4.2 uh, is what it was, so pretty good for a fast. And and so you're looking at that, and if you show that strong of a uh, blood ketone reading, then you know you're burning fat pretty efficiently, and that's why you're so energetic. That's why you're able uh, to be upright and not just slothful laying on a couch. You know, people just think they're going to become slower and slower and it just doesn't happen. It, I know it goes against everything people believe. All I can say is try a fast and see how you do. Now you mentioned what are the various kinds of fasts. I actually have a practical progression of fasting that I think will be very helpful for a lot of people. So if people aren't always already eating a nutrient dense diet, be it a primal diet, a paleo diet, a ketogenic, low carb, uh, whatever diet you want to do, even a vegan diet, as long as it's nutrient dense, that should be uh, number one. Make that your foundation. Now, can you come from the sad diet and go into fasting? Sure, but it's going to hurt like you you know what. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, I guess, you know, there's some people that have to get to it sooner because of health yes. problems. However, right. you know, it would be tough for anybody uh, to go from just normal, like crappy living <laughs> to yes. to this. I mean, you know, I so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming and I know you do you you look people out there listening, if you're interested, you might want to get on the paleo primal low carb train first, get yes. fat adapted, move your way into it. Because like you said, it doesn't hurt to go without food at all when you're you're fat adapted. I mean, I agree with you the second day, even for everybody could be a little a little tough just because it's again, a major sort of life adjustment. So the next step after nutrient dense diet is cut out your snacking. There's a lot of people that like to eat breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack, midnight snack, because that's our culture of eating every few hours. What you'll find once you start eating a nutrient-dense, adequate calorie diet is you don't need to snack. If you're snacking between meals, you didn't eat enough food in your meal. So try cutting out the snacks. Then the next step after that is cut out one meal. So maybe cut out the breakfast meal, maybe cut out the lunch meal. Just cut out one meal that's comfortable for you during the day. Then the next step is try eating one meal in a day, which ends up being about a 24-hour fast. And so once you've nailed 24 hours, then maybe try doing what's called alternate day fasting where you eat on Monday, don't eat Tuesday, eat on Wednesday, don't eat Thursday. That ends up being about a 36-hour fast. 
And in the book, we give plans for the 24, 36, and even 42-hour fasting, how you can do that, what time you should start, what time you end, blah, blah, blah. And then if you've nailed that and you're still not seeing the results you want, and and truth be told, L, a lot of people will see incredible results just from those things I just described. So I don't want people to think everybody has to do a long fast. Uh, But for those people that are insulin resistant and trying to heal, um, maybe you need to push it a little longer. Now, your first long fast, your first extended fast, don't try just two days because you get through the hardest part and then you stop. So right, yeah. Get through the hardest part through. and then I would say if you can, try five because I think you'll be surprised that once you get beyond two, three, four, five will be nirvana. So I, I, I definitely want people to try to do at least three uh, and definitely push it to five if you can. And then from there, maybe do the one-week fast that Dr. Seafried mentioned for preventing cancer. And then if you need to, and I've been experimenting these uh, longer fasts, I've been doing uh, a series of 21-day fasts myself. I'm currently in the midst of one, uh, day 18 of my current one. And I have had to eat uh, two meals during that 18 days. So... Uh, it's okay if you mess up, and and I want people to know that that you've got to listen to your body. You got to know when your body's trying to tell you, okay, dude, um, I need some food, and it will be very subtle in a lot of people. So you you just have to pay attention to the signs. You won't feel well, um, and and you might feel a little dizzy. Sometimes that's electrolyte imbalance. Maybe try some bone broth with sea salt, but if that doesn't help you, you need to end the fast. At least pause it for that one meal. Uh, that's what I've chosen to do one meal and then get right back on it again. So 18 days, two meals, and I'm doing really well. I've lost a ton of weight, uh, almost 30 pounds in the 18 days. Um, blood ketones are showing incredible fat burning blood sugar. It's, it's an interesting thing with blood sugar and we can definitely get into that here in a minute if you want to. Yeah, no, I think, um, well, I wanted to ask you first, so you've now been on this train for a while, you've done a series of long fasts, obviously you said yep. this last one, you, what are the overall results for you so far? Like, what were your goals? And what are you like, wow, you know, whether it's blood work numbers, or whether it's 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 fat loss, what where are you at? And what did you achieve? So my primary goal in doing these longer fasts that started in September 2015, um, with that fast that I was trying to go 21, I went 17 and a half days. My goal was nothing more than I'm trying to heal these decades of insulin resistance. And of course, the way that manifests itself if you, is you test fasting insulin levels, you test blood sugar, you test you know inflammation markers, you test all of these things because they ostensibly should be getting better the more that you fast. Now, I did write this book in the midst of of this past year. And so I did I know myself well enough, L, that stress is a huge factor for me. I think if you're insulin resistant, you're probably very sensitive to the effects of stress. And so I chose not to fast from January, which was my last fast, until I started fasting in October. So uh so I had a period of time where I did not, but the ones that I have done. I've seen incredible improvements uh, in lipids. My cholesterol, just last September, my cholesterol dropped 100 points in that 17 and a half days. Wow. 100 points. There's no drugs. Statins won't even no. you know, drop your, your cholesterol that quick. Not that I think cholesterol is a big issue, but it's an interesting marker to track. 
to show the powerful effects. And of course, the even the advanced cholesterol panels, the NMR lipo profile that looks at the uh, LDL particles and the small LDL particles, the LDLP actually dropped well over a thousand points doing this wow. in 17 days. Uh, and of course, small LDLP, which is the truly atherosclerotic uh, kind, also dropped into normal range. So there's some powerful therapeutic effects. Now, the, the interesting thing, because I've been keto, my triglycerides weren't that high already, but they still went down. My inflammation, HSCRP, was not very high already, but it actually went down as well. So little by little by little, I'm looking at cumulative effects of doing these fasts over a period of time. I'm actually getting into a groove now where I feel good, where I fast for you know a period of time, several days, maybe a week or two, and then I can have some food and maybe fast a little bit more. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you don't realize how little you really need a, a ton of food, especially in, in light of having a lot of food on your body. People are like, well, you're starving yourself. Well, no, I'm not starving myself. My body is feasting quite well on that stored body fat that's been plaguing me for years. That's right. And that's such an important point. Um, I remember sometime, I remember so many years ago, uh, I was uh, really overweight. And I remember uh, talking to someone and I didn't know much about health. And I said something like, well, don't you need carbs? And they said something like, you know, you have enough carbs on your body. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? I was like, and now, and now I get, you know, what they, what they were meaning. It's like, you've right. got enough to feed off of. I want to, I mean, you're such a expert in the field of insulin resistance and, you know, you, you deal with and have spoken to and coached so many people who have been insulin resistant or have type two diabetes. And because it's so rampant, I would love you to just kind of touch on a couple of the success stories in your book, you know, that this is very possible that even if you have got onto insulin, because you are type two diabetic, there are ways to reverse that train. And I think it's so important for everyone to know this. And I think your book is going to be such a great uh, tool for for people who are suffering from this. You know, the way I look at it is, if you have to take insulin, you're on type 2 diabetes, it, uh, that is a thousand times worse of a project to manage than managing it naturally. <laughs> Do you know well, what I mean? About, think about what you're doing there. This uh, type 2 diabetes is a disease of excessive insulin. So why is the answer to excessive insulin even more insulin? In what world does that make sense? Right. No, I, I'm with you. And I, w I love you to sort of just kind of talk about that a little bit and get into because some of these success stories are so compelling in, in your book, um, people really suffering and dealing with trying to manage the insulin and, and when to inject it and all of this. And then they just sort of found you and got on the right train. Well, they found Dr. Fung uh, and and he helped put them on this. And, and Dr. Fung was very instrumental in a lot of the science in this book. At the end of each chapter, we have references to scientific references so people can read it with confidence, knowing it's not just a bunch of opinion uh, based on anecdote. Uh, there are a lot of anecdotal stories, as you mentioned, and we put a lot of the success stories in there strewn throughout the book in the margins. We got little blurbs from people saying, oh, yeah, this has done this for me and uh, it's been the best thing, blah, blah, blah. So um, yeah, one of the most interesting success stories is Dr. Uh, Jason Fung's uh, right-hand person who actually helps teach his patients about fasting. Megan Ramos is her name. Um, I don't have the book right in front of me, so forgive me for not having the full story, but she has just an incredible story how her body healed 
um, just through implementing a ketogenic approach, a low carb approach, along with periods of fasting. And it's just incredible. The, the thing I want people to take away from this is, hey, look, if you're scared of fasting, but you're not well, you have nothing to lose because you're on a downward path now. You need to get better, and the way to get better is implementing nutrition first. That will always, always, always be your foundation. So if it's a primal diet, a paleo diet, a ketogenic diet, a low-carb diet, a vegan diet, whatever you're choosing to do, let that be your foundation. But maybe, just maybe, on top of that, adding in periods of fasting could be the missing element in why you're not well. I love that. And it's so interesting. Um, well, I love all the fasting all-stars in here, like we've mentioned before. So all of the favorites in the community are in there talking about about there. Um, aside from, you know, we've read this before, Dr. Perlmutter talking about, you know, Alzheimer's being type 3 diabetes. Um, yep. Let's talk about the brain and, you know, what this could do for the brain. Uh, I'd love you to oh my goodness, give us a I little bit about this. that because I actually love this so much in terms of how I feel when I'm super low carb and um, yes. I'm looking and by the way, everyone, I'm definitely going to jump on this train and I'm going to attempt some, some long fast. So I'll have to report back on that. But in general, I mean, gosh, the, the mental, the level of mental focus and brain energy, I will never go back just because of that. So right. I'd love you to get into a little bit of that about the brain. Oh, I tell people often, if there was no other benefit to a ketogenic diet than the brain health benefits, I would do it just for that. And I mean, it's mood stabilization, it's clarity of thinking. I mean, your brain, you don't know what your brain actually is supposed to feel like uh, working at optimal until you've got ketones fueling it. And so think about if you are ketogenic and you're listening to this, think about how your brain feels now. Now, imagine bursting that into like five or 10 times that. <laughs> That's what fasting does for you. I just mentioned uh, I tested my ketones while we were talking here and they were over 4.0. Again, I'm in the midst of a fast, so that's not surprising that it's that high. But when you get them higher and higher into a therapeutic level, which is really anything over 3.0, tends to be therapeutic for Alzheimer's, therapeutic for dementia, Parkinson's, really all the neurodegenerative diseases. Um, this is what happens. Your brain is supercharged. And you get all these extra um, molecules going into your brain and feeding your brain well. People are like, well, you, you need 130 grams of carbs in order to fuel your brain, brain properly. Well, yeah, if you're a sugar burner. But once you've gotten <laughs> rid of right. the sugar and you now burn you know, fat and ketones very efficiently, your brain will love you for feeding it the ketones. So when whether you're doing a ketogenic diet or whether you're fasting, you're going to get these effects a lot more magnified when you're fasting, but you get them. And it's it, it truly is one of the remarkable things. I've done a lot of these interviews for the Complete Guide to Fasting in a fasted state. And so I've got all, all of this really like bing bing, you know, my brain is just on haywire doing these things. And it, and it's great. I, I just wish we could bottle this. up. I wish I knew this when I was in college. I know. Man, I, I wish I knew this so years ago, too, because I became insulin rates. resistant. Yeah. Oh, I know, right? I would have like retained the information that I actually have a degree. In. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. So let's talk about, you know, people who maybe shouldn't fast. You know, let's, because uh, yes. it's, it's, it's applicable to everybody, except. Except for obvious ones. If you're pregnant, 
You're, you're basically trying to feed a little one growing inside of you. You do not need to be withholding uh, nutrients. So please eat if you're fast, if you're uh, pregnant, uh, do not fast. Uh, now fast when you're done, uh, you know, having the baby, that'll help you get the weight off and, and get you back on track again, maybe prevent some of the postpartum depression and that kind of thing. If you are severely malnourished, this is another category of people or you're severely underweight. Um, you do not need to be fasting. You need to be getting into that level one of that practical progression I was talking about. You need to eat a nutrient-dense diet and get your your diet back on track. So those people do not need to be fasting. What if Children. you're underweight but you're insulin resistant? Because there are people that are skinny. Yeah. Fat, we call them. So like that's kind of a tough gray area, isn't but it? But see, they need to find out why they're underweight um, and, and get that resolved, at least have some weight back on their body. It, it would be difficult. I mean, I, I'm not a medical person, but it seems to me it would be difficult to be truly insulin resistant and not adding weight to your body. Right. Yeah, no, I hear you. It seems really backwards. Yeah. Uh, children would be the next category of people that should not fast because you're still growing. And so you don't want to uh, to stunt that growth, any child under 18. And then uh, one other category that's come up in me doing these interviews, if you have some sort of a, uh, a food problem like anorexia, bulimia, uh, even just an obsession about food, um, you know, try to get that under control before you try fasting because sometimes fasting can trigger, and we talk about this in the book pretty prominently, uh, it can actually trigger some of those those feelings Um that would make you go back into anorexia, bulimia, that kind of thing. Right. And there was probably a misconception of fasting. You know, you mentioned the book, uh, does fasting cause anorexia? Right. You know, and, you know, arguing, you said that fasting causes anorexia is like arguing that washing your hands is going to lead to obsessive compulsive hand washing. <laughs> so, but it, it doesn't? What? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's great. Um, and you said children, but you said, you know, under 18 years old. You said you kind of yes. threw that in there as well as sort of being yes. part of that. It probably, you know, probably a 16 or more could, uh, you know, they're fully developed, but they're still developing. I, I still grew until I was almost 20. So, you know, if you're still growing, if you still got growing to do, that's probably not a good idea to fast. You got the rest of your life to, to add in periods of fasting. And the one that was sort of not random necessarily, but I was like, oh, you were like people who have gout. Yeah, because it can exacerbate it. Uh, uric acid can in some people go up. And so that would make the the um, the gout worse. And if you've ever had a gout attack, I, I have not, so I don't know what it's like. But they say it's very excruciating, big toe pain. Um, and so, yeah, get that under control, and um, and and then fasting can become something you can do. And then I guess we'll just touch on this last one. Um, I know a lot of people do have this if they're, especially if they're not, you know, in line with the right diet. But the uh, ref acid reflux you mentioned also might be a sensitive yeah. arena. And I've actually experienced that. It's early on. It's only early on when you first start fasting, you'll you'll feel uh, a burning. Uh, but it was only like when I first started trying to do these longer fasts, L. Now that I do them and have done them, I don't even I, either I don't notice it anymore or it just doesn't happen anymore. So, again, it doesn't happen to everyone, but I have experienced that. But if you have active heartburn now, 
uh, yeah, be careful with it and, and don't take like an antacid while you're trying to fast. <laughs> that could be a little bit funky. That would be funky. Um, and then also you mentioned it's okay to drink coffee and, um, yes, you said and green tea. tea is especially great and, and can you go into why green tea That's is especially Dr. a great Fung choice? loves green tea. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just got a lot of nutrients in it that he likes and, and even some appetite suppressing, uh, properties to it. So yeah, he's a big fan of green tea. I don't like green tea. So that's just my personal preference and I don't like coffee or tea. So I'm, I'm stuck with water and kombucha. How was your sleeping during this time? I mean, did you feel like you had all this extra energy and you're, you're up and kind of couldn't go to bed or were you having this similar, same consistent sleep patterns? You know what's interesting is circadian rhythms got even more spot on while fasting. And, and that seems counterintuitive because, like you said, you're so revved up. You, you would think that your energy would be so hyped that you wouldn't be able to sleep. Well, actually, what I found was I get sleepier earlier than I was before I started fasting. And then I'm even up a little bit earlier, which is cool because I got a lot of work to do early in the morning. I can get a lot done. Um, and so people mistake, well, I got up early, but you forgot maybe you went to bed a little bit earlier as well. So it's a better sleep. And and I actually had a gentleman on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show, Dr. Kirk Parsley, uh, who talked about the relationship between ketones in the in the blood and sleep and how ketones in the blood, the presence of ketones, they really haven't studied this strong, but he's seen a great correlation where you actually don't need as much sleep when you're having heavy ketones. So obviously if you're eating a ketogenic diet or fasting, you're going to have heavier levels of ketones and maybe you don't need as much sleep. The body is able to repair a lot quicker in the state of ketosis. Interesting. How do you, you know, one of the things I heard in the past is like, oh, well, if you do a fast, if you break the fast, you, you have to start light, you know, with fruit or some soup, <laughs> you know, so I, yeah, I want to hear, you know, if you're in the middle of a 21 day or you make it 17 days and then you're like, all right, I need a meal. I mean, are you eating yep. a real food or, you know, can you talk about that? Because I know people are like oh, yeah. afraid of that. It's almost like the same fear when a former vegetarian will tell another vegetarian, if you eat meat, you'll get sick. You know, it's kind yeah. of like, so, so if you could kind of expose that myth or, or tell us, you know, you know about that. I don't know. I don't understand this one, L, because basically what we talk about in the book is eat a little something about 30 to 60 minutes before your main meal. So a small salad. I know Mark Sisson likes talking about eating a big ass salad. Don't eat a big ass salad. Have a small salad <laughs> or a few nuts or, you know, if you eat dairy, have a cheese stick or just something, just a little something. And what that like does. Like a primer, a little primer. Is that what you're Just doing? a little primer. And what you're doing is you're trying to get blood flowing to the stomach again, because if you've gone a period of time without eating, uh, the blood isn't like readily flowing there. So if you eat a little something, oh, it's like, oh, we're ha we got work to do now. Let's let's send some blood there and, and start working on that. And what that does is when you start eating your meal, then you're not just suddenly hitting it with this huge bolus where it freaks out and you can have real pain. Actually, Dr. Fung made this mistake himself when he first did a longer fast and then he came back with a full meal like right after it. And he was sick for like two, three hours after that uh, stomach pain, just writhing in pain. And he's like, okay, there's something I missed here. <laughs> and it was the small meal. That's what he missed. And so he needed to have that little primer. And I've actually done this several times. I usually use peely nuts or macadamia nuts, um, and, and that's enough to kind of get the blood flowing. And then I have a regular meal. So I, I've had, you know, 
hamburgers. I've had, you know, you can have a regular meal. You don't have How to How long like, after that primer? What are we looking at time wise? Yeah, about there? 30 to 60 minutes. So have a little something and then about 30 to 60 minutes later, then have your meal and then your your body's ready for it. And I've never had any problems doing it that way. And you also uh, might think, well, oh my gosh, you haven't eaten for you know X amount of time, 10 days, 12 days, 21 days, whatever it is. You're going to be just so ravenous. You're actually not ravenous. Your body will naturally stop you. You will get full at a very normal time. Now, you'll eat maybe a little more food than you typically would in a meal, but you'll feel that satiety kick in. And it's kind of weird because you psychologically know, hey, I haven't had food in X amount of time. And yet you get to a point and you go, well, wait a minute, I'm full, but I haven't had food in a while. Why am I full already? So no, it's, it's, amazing. it's a lot of psychological games. Yeah. Something I'm sure uh, people are wondering. I know I was wondering and I know you cover it, but if you could touch on, uh, let's talk about the bowels. Let's talk about poop. Cause you know, that's something if people are like, Oh, I, I couldn't do that because I, I need to be regular or, you know, that would be, make me constipated and, um, or they're <laughs> worried and freaked out about what they may see <laughs> coming out. So how would you get constipated by not eating, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> well, I guess what they mean is, you know, not going and then not going is a problem. Therefore, that's bad for you or something oh, like that. Oh, you go. Trust me, you go. <laughs> yeah, so tell, so tell us about that. I mean, if you don't mind, I mean, not necessarily TMI or, or a little bit of TMI, but, oh, uh, you know, TMI what can we expect? Bit. Yeah, what can we expect in the longer fast, uh, five plus days with yeah. that kind of thing? So obviously, day one, day two, you're emptying the bowels of the food that you've just had the last few days. And so you're going to see that start to come out. By day three, you're starting to see it kind of slow down. And by four or five, it should be mostly liquid. I know it's gross to talk about, but this is the truth, you guys, especially if you're drinking ample amounts of water. Now, obviously, one thing you do not want to have happen while you're fasting is get dehydrated. So that's why drinking ample amounts of water, the green tea, the tea, the coffee, all these fluids is going to help keep things moving. Now, people are like, well, do you just stop pooping altogether at some point when you don't have any more food in there? You still have stuff coming out uh, because the body's still metabolizing stuff. I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> but it does come out, um, but it is mostly liquid after a few days. It's no more solid bowels, and you would expect that. And then when you start eating again, this is the interesting thing, too. When you break the fast and you eat, sometimes you won't have a bowel movement uh, in terms of like solid until like two, three days later. And so don't let that freak you out either. Oh, my gosh, I've started eating. I should be having bowels. Well, keep in mind, you cleaned your bowels out. So it's got to kind of work its way back through there again. And that could take a, a few days. On the liquid bowel scenario. Um, yeah. I guess my fear or question would be, uh, is, is it one of the, uh, is it one of those things where you have to worry about kind of being at home kind of thing where it's an explosive situation <laughs> or is it more normal or is there something like, you know, note to self first five days might want to hang around day three to five at home by the toilet or, or is it not that situation? Yeah, I don't think it is. I think it depends on the level of water that you drink because I work from home. I drink a whole lot of water because I can uh, go when I got to go. <laughs> but I, I think if you just manage your water uh, and don't get too much, then it shouldn't be explosive. I think it's just going to be a very natural, okay, I got to go and you take care of it. And and yeah, so it shouldn't be a problem as long as you're drinking adequate amounts of water. Don't go too few or you will be constipated 
or don't do too much or you will have the explosive, there is a happy medium. You got to find it for you. What is your next plan here with fasting? What's your next level of goals? Are you, do you have a goal, Mark, where you're like, I'm trying to reach this or are you just, yes. you know, going with the flow? So I am kind of going with the flow because my overall goal has been from the beginning, heal this freaking insulin resistance because it's kicking me in my tail. Uh, even though I've been low carb and keto for a little while, I needed this little bit extra kick in the tail to get things going because I was telling you, uh, blood sugar has been kind of interesting on these fasts. And the reason why, and, and we talk about this in the book, that when you have insulin resistance and you've got a lot of adipose tissue right there in the belly, um, whenever you release that body fat, it actually can have pockets of sugar in there. And so you see that show up on your blood sugar. And sometimes people see higher blood sugar during a fast and go, whoa, whoa, I haven't eaten anything. How is that happening? It's actually the insulin resistance being healed. So the more I see that, then I'm going to keep doing this. And this is one of those things that I'm just going to implement it where maybe I fast for a few days and then I eat and then I fast for a few more days and then I eat. And I'm just going to do that period of, of doing that for a period of time to see if I can heal this once and for all. Let's talk about cortisol because, you know, when you mentioned the blood sugar, that that kind of brought that thought up to me as well, that that I, I see how people could be sort of falsely afraid of that happening, blood sugars increasing, like, oh, no, this shouldn't be happening. Maybe I need to stop. Um, yeah. Let's talk about cortisol because people, you know, here's the myths that I've heard about that. So a lot of people say, well, oh, if you have adrenal fatigue, then you have right. to eat every two, three hours. And it's like, no, That's that means you say. have adrenal fatigue if you're because you're hyperglycemic. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. In fact, adrenals don't like carbs, <laughs> and, and to be honest no. with you. So talk about that, you know, potential cortisol or adrenal effects that people People might be fearful that there'd be a negative response there. Yeah, and you can certainly test that. That's the the beautiful thing of the day and age we live in, L, is all of these things are testable. If you're as nerdy as Jimmy Moore is, I just tested my blood sugar and ketones again. Uh, you, you know, <laughs> I love look, that I'm you geek out on this and you give well, us I'm great doing books. it every 30 minutes just to kind of see what's happening uh, uh, during this point in my fast. So it's it's kind of fun. But but yeah, um, you know, you can test for uh, your adrenal um, function. But I think a lot of that is just worry, needless worry, um, because if you truly had a huge cortisol response, it would show up in your blood sugar and, and make it higher. But most people, when they go on a, a longer fast, uh, they actually see their blood sugar come down and come down significantly, like into the 80s, 70s, 60s. I've even heard some people in the 50s and 40s with their blood sugar. And of course, they have a corresponding higher level of blood ketones. That makes sense because the ketones are stepping in the place of where the blood sugar would be. But I, I think it's just a fear that's unfounded. Now, if you fear if you're fearful of it, that will raise your cortisol. That will raise your <laughs> blood sugar. So don't that's fear right. it. Right. No, I, I can just see someone thinking that the elevation in blood uh, sugar, they might think, oh no, maybe cortisol is getting screwed up here. Somehow. But it's not consistent. That's the thing. You've right. got to watch it. And like I'm looking at my my schedule here. So I had I had a 108 a couple of days ago. And then the next morning it was 93 and then the next morning it was 88 and see it just it changes from day to day. And if it was truly cortisol that was doing that, it would stay high. Right. So the fluctuations are what are kind of an indicator to you. Yes. And the fact that my, you know, 18 days into a fast, I'm still seeing 88 blood sugar just tells you just how truly insulin resistant I am. My body's fighting me to try to get rid of that. 
What do you think? And I'm going to win, by the way. You are going to win. What's your personal assessment on why you think it's it's been a, a tougher road for you to nip this insulin resistance in the bud? Is it because maybe even though you were keto, there was a higher caloric uh, intake during that time, and therefore that might have affected it? Uh, what What's your personal assessment? Or you just feel like, I just got a bad break and screwed myself up for so many years, it's just taking longer to reverse. I mean, what's, yeah, your, L, what's your take on it? I, I go way back from my keto days because I think about the first three decades of my life life. What did I eat? And what point did I get to in my life? I was drinking at 32, uh, right before I made my change to the Atkins diet, I was drinking 16 cans of Coca-Cola every single day. I was eating whole boxes of Little Debbie snack cakes out of the box, watching TV, one to two of them every single day. I was having McDonald's once or twice a day. I was a junk food, junky, crappy garbage addict. And I think that did not come without damage. You know, I I often joke in some interviews I do, I've already had all the carbs I'm allowed to have my entire life, the first 32 years of my life. So the rest of my life, I have to keep them under control. And while that's a joke, it's probably a little more true than than I'm, I'm even realizing. And so I think it's just I did a lot of damage early. And that damage didn't come without consequences. And I'm, I'm having to mitigate those consequences. And of course, I'm still getting older and your body makes changes as you get older. I'm in my mid forties now, so I'm not worried about it. I'm an active, uh, patient advocate trying to figure things out for himself to try to help others as they go along in their journey as well. And you really do. Is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with or or something around this topic we should jump into? Yeah, I I just think people need to put aside your fear of fasting and give it a go and go through that practical progression we talked about because I think it can help you so, so much. And I'm seeing such great benefits from this. I just want others to be able to have those same benefits. And if if you've struggled in your weight, if you've struggled to get your blood sugar and your fasting insulin levels down, if you've had any kind of issues in your health and you're just at your wit's end about what to do, Try fasting. You really have nothing to lose. You will not die if you fast. I promise (laughs) you, I've done plenty of fasting. I would be dead by now if if fasting (laughs) kills you. Um, Just give it a go, and and I'm here to help you. So please count on me as a resource. Definitely contact me if you have any issues. Yeah, and we will put all of the links to all of your podcasts and your website, livinlavitalowcarb.com, in the show notes. Um, We can find it on Amazon, and I'm assuming elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, really everywhere books are sold. And coming in December, I just finished reading the audio book because I'm a podcaster and people know my voice. So I read my own book. Um, And so that was fun. And then we're coming out with a fasting uh, podcast coming in January, Fasting Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Jason Fung. So we're going to answer people's questions all about fasting starting in January. That's a great time to get the book now, read up, maybe do a couple trial runs. Then January comes around and there's full weekly or daily, depending on how often you do the podcast support. And I just want to share this with everyone because I <clears throat> I am a really big fan of yours. And I, I'm so glad you're coming out with an audiobook because I love, I love Keto Clarity. I... You mentioned, you know, we're all trying to figure this out, you know, and the thing is where your books really helped me is I had become insulin resistant with a couple of bouts of hypothyroidism, obviously solved that, but then still wasn't low carb enough. And, you know, even though I'm a primal health coach, even though I read up on this stuff and I'm into it, 
you know, you you need some help and guidance and in these arenas, and there's no better book on ketosis than Keto Clarity for me. And honestly, really well done on this complete guide to fasting. It's just as detailed as your other books. And I feel like uh, with all of your books, there are sort of these manuals where you can sort of just, you know, you're going to read a section, you're like, I, I need to reread that one again. I, I need to look at that again, because it's so chock full of scientific information and, and great information. But without Keto Clarity, and I, that's why I did listen to it three times, I don't think I would have been able to figure out what I had to navigate. So I so appreciate your work. And everyone out there, there's just millions of people that have benefited. Please check out Jimmy Moore's new book, The Ultimate Guide to Fasting, and live in com. Thank you very much, Elle. We It's a labor of love, and I'm very fortunate in my life to know a lot of really cool people like Mark Sisson and Rob Wolf and Tom Seafried and Jason Fung and all these people that are truly changing the world. So uh, together, we will be stronger. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here, and I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching, but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. We also have payment plans available, so you can start immediately for just a dollar down. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe. <laughs> 